Hello. 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 It's been a while since I've seen y'all. It's been a while. How are you, Tom? Doing good. Um, yeah, so uh, that's all I want to say. All right. See you guys. Bye. <laughs> Welcome to Let's Learn Everything, the podcast where we learn anything and everything. Why do I sound so sarcastic today? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I thought that was a hint to the topic. <laughs> so today we will be covering a big science topic. We'll be answering a question and we will be diving into a miscellaneous topic. I'm Ella. I'm covering the science topic today. And we are going to be talking about cosmic rays. Oh! oh. Ella, that is actually very oh. unexpected from you. I know. I, oh wow. my word. I love this for you. Thank you. <laughs> I thought, I'm so excited. Tom, you've been covering, you've been very good and you've been, you've been covering biology things occasionally, even though that is not your background. And I thought... Even though I hate it. <laughs> 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 and, and if there's one thing I you know hate more than anything it's space so <laughs> so harsh oh my god everybody who's like an astrophysicist out there is like what the fuck i love space immediately unsubscribes <laughs> i just thought it's only fair that if tom tries other things i should also try Aww. other things that's valid yeah my name's caroline and this episode's question is gonna be why do humans have so many different colored eyes Oh. oh, fun. My name's Tom. Uh, today's miscellaneous topic is going to seem really out there. You're going to have to believe me. This is not a joke. I somehow found this interesting. Oh. <laughs> today's miscellaneous topic is about understanding the most maligned and misunderstood musical instrument, the triangle. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. I'm, I'm not going to say anything. Just going to hope for the best. <laughs> Oh, wow. <sighs> this is really out there even for you, Tom. Today, we are talking about cosmic rays. What's your familiarity with cosmic rays? <laughs> Piss off. <laughs> um, I was going to say, uh, uh, this is one of those things that I've definitely heard it yeah. a million times. Uh-huh. I have never, never taken the time to, to do a deep dive. So I'm really curious. Uh, like in my mind, I picture, <laughs> I don't know, I'd see space and I see just like a drawing yeah. of the wave. <laughs> I don't know. But, again, but like, but the thing is with all of those uh, dramatizations and like illustrations, it's like, is that real? How big is that wave? Can I see it? I have, I literally don't, I don't mm -hmm. know. Um, I don't know the scale. Like, what yeah. It, yeah. So the first thing I'll say is that cosmic rays, despite the name, are not waves. They're not, they're, no. not electro, they're not electromagnetic radiation. So they're not... Oh. You, what Tom did for the listener at home is a little <laughs> wave sign with his finger. Yeah, with my finger. Like a little wobbly line, yeah. And oh, it is not so th a little wobbly line. <laughs> so it's... Wow, okay. So cosmic rays, uh, to put it simply, they're, they're high-energy particles from outer space. They oh. are mainly protons, but occasionally atomic nuclei like hydrogen and helium, which are the most abundant elements, 
in the universe mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or less commonly electrons. They, that's it. Mm-hmm. They are high energy particles zooming around through space. Okay. Okay. It's okay. as simple as that. It is as simple as that. <laughs> wow. We're, we're interested not in what they are, but what they can do for us. <laughs> and How that can was, humans harness them? Okay. And I was, I was yeah. wrong by saying that. What I mean is what they do to us. So... <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I was going to say, this sounds like a chaotic force of nature. Uh-huh. Yeah, it really is. So there are many, many cosmic rays shooting around and, you know, they often strike Earth. I'm assuming they come from things like the sun? Yes, yes, that is a form okay. of cosmic ray. And I'll, I'll talk a, bit, a little bit about that. Okay, cool. First I'll say, so, so when cosmic rays arrive at Earth, they collide mm-hmm with nuclei of atoms in the upper atmosphere of Earth, and they create mm-hmm, a shower mm-hmm. of secondary particles. I mean, in my mind, I'm picturing... <laughs> this is so stupid. <laughs> in my mind, I'm picturing a bunch of, like, mini M&Ms hitting the particles in the atmosphere and then breaking up into, like, half-sized pieces or, like, tinier pieces and then scattering down. It's not, you know, it's not totally, like, the wrong idea. So, basically, <laughs> that when the high energy particles collide with particles in our atmosphere you get a shower mm-hmm. of a subatomic particle that's called a pion Ooh. a pion is a type of subatomic particle called a meson which in turn is a type called a hadron which has a quark and an antiquark quarks <laughs> are the ele- like fundamental constituents of matter they are elementary particles yes um, and they carry electrical charge and actually, I, I don't know a lot about physics, so this is quite interesting to me. Quarks have never been directly observed. It's just theoretical predictions based on oh. their existence. I, yeah. I didn't know fun. that. I thought that was quite interesting, considering the level of certainty we have that those things exist. Yeah, and it, it, it becomes one of those things where, like, observation gets trickier because uh, Mm. like we observe things with like photons and stuff like that and so when you get smaller than a photon how how are you gonna observe that (laughs) that's a whole other topic for another time but yeah it's it's as you get smaller it gets wonky and the the bright side is the names get a lot more fun yes (laughs) and mesons and hadrons and quarks and anti-quarks to summarize all that the quark gives it the electrical charge so highly electrically charged particles are now raining down upon earth um and cern actually have instructions on their website about how to make an (gasps) at-home cosmic ray detector It's, it's called a continuously sensitive diffusion cloud chamber, which sounds more complicated than it is. It basically just uses evaporated alcohol whoa, to whoa. make a cloud that's really sensitive to passing particles. So you can see tracks left by cosmic rays, basically. <gasps> okay, so you know how um, at like electronic music concerts, they'll like have a fog machine so that you can see like lasers. Yeah. This is like a super sensitive version of that. Yeah, it's really cool, oh isn't it? I love And you, So you can see the rave that is space. The, ra- <laughs> <cosmic rays. laughs> the rave of space. Um, I mean, if anybody at home has tried that, feel free to like tell us about it in the Discord server or something, because that sounds like so much fun. I'm putting a link into the description to this. Oh, amazing. Um, these instructions. So if you want to try it, please let us know um, if you do. So... That's what they are, cosmic rays. Where do they come cool. from? They come well, from. I gotta make the joke when a mom, when a mommy cosmic ray and a daddy cosmic ray oh, love each other very please. much. Oh please! Wow. 
God, truly really horrible. though really though we should be adopting cosmic rays more often than going to no 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 we've got to talk about the ethicalness of adopting after that point tom i don't know if we have time for that That's today it's a whole yeah. other thing a whole other mm-hmm. thing i've my brain fully switched off then <laughs> <laughs> sometimes i just have to let you two kind of go you know <laughs> <laughs> okay you guys done you done okay now back. okay so cosmic rays so cosmic rays come from everywhere so we're constantly being bombarded (laughs) with low energy cosmic rays from the sun like you said Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. other than that we do not know specifically where they come from so (laughs) which is really interesting um not specifically it's because our galaxy the milky way and our solar system Uh uh and earth all have weak magnetic charge which deflects the path of cosmic rays so by the time they reach us are detectable we just oh, cannot whoa, whoa, pinpoint whoa, whoa. from what direction they've originally come. I will also say, in defense of the uncertainty of, of cosmic rays, we're talking about <laughs> the tiniest particles in the vastness of space interacting with our whole planet, mm-hmm. right? Like it it's I I don't know how we would even begin to, to like track down where all these these little little guys are coming from. So Well the, we can't know the direction with the current technology, but Mm-hmm. They do un- understand what kind of things in space can produce cosmic rays. Right, right, right. Based on observations from, like, actually near those things. So there's another type of low-energy cosmic ray called anomalous cosmic rays, and they probably originate in the heliosheath. Great word. And this is the outer border of the so- our solar system. But these ones aren't as, like, in- interesting to us because uh, the ones that are more interesting are galactic cosmic rays. So they come... Oh, sorry. Love it. Just... Good phrases. I know. The, the, all of the words in this are great. <laughs> Anomalous cosmic rays? Boring. Galactic cosmic Galactic rays. Galactic cosmic rays. So wow. they These come from within the Milky Way, but mostly from supernovas. And they reach Earth? Yeah. All the time. That's... Constantly. <laughs> wow. Okay. So uh, a supernova is just an extremely bright, powerful explosion of a massive star. Massive being a technical mm-hmm. term and not a... Me just saying it's really big. <laughs> I, I just realized, like, if we can see a supernova, then that means those photons traveled to us. Sorry, I'm just like having a realization. Well, you're you're thinking head, of like, the light, right? No, no. I, yes, I, I am. But, but you know, in my mind, I'm like, supernova are like impossibly far away. They would never reach us. But then I realized, like, if their light can yeah. reach oh, us. Oh, yeah, that's a very then, good way to look at it, right? Of course, if their light's reaching Then maybe us. some other things can reach. Yeah, it's just so... And one of the reasons why these things can reach us generally particles like helium and hydrogen atoms like protons move quite slowly so they would Mm. probably wouldn't breach us but the thing about cosmic rays is they they're very high speed so they're all they all many of them the higher energy ones they travel almost at the speed of light wow um which is very fast (laughs) there's there's one final one um, which is called the ultra high cosmic ray, and they, these originate from outside of the Milky Way. Wow! These have an energy greater than one eev, which is ten to the eighteen electron volts, approx- which is approximately zero point one six joules. So to put that into context for those that don't remember Thank high school you. physics, I like mean, me, for the people at home, I mean, obviously, I when the moment you said zero point, how many zero point one six joules. Like, 0.16 joules, I was like, oh, that's obviously a lot? A oh. little? Edit it, whichever, whichever's the correct one. That's obviously a lot. That's <laughs> obviously a little. That's obviously a middle amount. Edit whichever one is the correct one. Sorry. 
<laughs> Jesus. Um, okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm putting it into context for you. So, okay, thank you. Because I don't remember any of this kind of stuff from high school physics. So one watt is one joule per second. So a 60 watt light bulb is burning 60 joules of energy per second. Right. Okay. So above 0.16 joules is considered an ultra high cosmic ray. It doesn't seem like that much, but this is a subatomic particle, which on its own is producing, you know, could partially light a light bulb, I guess. So like a a single (laughs) particle has the power of like one one hundredth of a light bulb for a second is what you're saying. Which is actually insanely high for that thing wow that, yeah <laughs> so the highest energy cosmic ray ever observed is named oh my the oh my god particle <laughs> <laughs> wow um i imagine because it made them say that because this is truly bonkers it was detected by the fly's eye camera in utah in 1991 it was traveling at 9.9999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999999
every second or like every you know like thousand years and so this is a very it's just it's just interesting yeah yeah uh, maybe we'll be able to detect more with mm, like mm. a better technology i'm not entirely sure but i think it is they just rarely occur because these are things that are coming from outside of um the milky way so right, the chances right. that they they will hit earth on you know not necessarily that high yeah not like the sun the sun kind of cosmic right, rays just constantly yeah, hitting us them. yeah some people were worried that this would be an, a health issue because that they're radioactive they can in theory cause genetic mutations mm-hmm, okay mm-hmm. but the normal like daily dose of radiation like received from a person kind of just existing on the planet is just vibing. is like 10 microsieverts which is like a like less than a thousandth of a of a sievert and yeah. and, you, and one sievert is associated with a 5.5% increase in the risk of cancer so uh, okay. it's you're literally you're fine you're fine you're okay nothing to worry about <laughs> But cosmic rays do other things on Earth. This is where it gets fun. It gets real fun. More fun than the fun names. It's already been a blast. Yeah. <laughs> oh, this is... Oh, I'm so excited. Okay, so first of all, so technically solar wind, so the energy, uh, some of the energy coming from the sun isn't cosmic rays because they are, they are much lower energy. But I will tell you anyway that solar wind is what causes auroral lights. So the aurora borealis or, or the northern lights. Oh, Oh. Um, so it's basically the result of collisions between the charged particles from the solar wind and Ooh. gaseous mm-hmm. constituents in the atmosphere. Yeah. Make pretty light. Yeah. And it's and depending on the gas will uh, produce the colour. <gasps> the most common auroral colour is a yellowish green and that's mm-hmm. produced by collision with oxygen. Oh. Collision with nitrogen gives a blue or purplish red colour. That's so That's really cool. cool. That makes sense. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's it's cool, isn't it? I, I, um, but technically, I'm cheating a bit there because it, it, they're not technically cos- cosmic rays, but to my mind, they are very similar. <laughs> I'm sure someone is a physicist screaming at this right now. Like, <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> One thing that actual cosmic rays might cause is lightning. Oh. What? There's been a theory or a hypothesis for quite a long time that lightning could be caused by cosmic rays and in 2013 russian scientists alexander gurevich and Anatoly karashtin published some results in physical review letters that basically was a model that showed that they ionized high energy particles they produce striking other particles in the cloud causes electrical charge uh-huh, uh-huh. to you know discharge and causes lightning uh-huh. whoa 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 it's still not it's not proven yeah um and it's a quite it seems to be like very hotly debated in the physics world (laughs) i've got a quote from a scientist clive saunders from manchester university he just says he's unconvinced that cosmic rays play a role in lightning they've not shown any correlation between lightning activity and the rate of arrival of cosmic rays at earth but other scientists seem to think it does i don't think there's it doesn't seem like there's (laughs) enough evidence to say that they do yeah um, I will say that so Clive Saunders in this article was described as lightning scientist. 
riches. I feel like we're all in the wrong profession, quite frankly. I think we should all just quit everything and become lightning scientists. (laughs) I want to be called a lightning scientist. Jeez. It's me, Clyde Saunders, the lightning scientist. (laughs) (laughs) So high energy particles zooming around, they definitely cause auroral lights. They could cause other natural phenomenon, clearly. But what about unnatural phenomena? (laughs) Okay. I'm really excited about this bit. Okay. In 2013, speedrunner Dota teabag. <gasps> I <laughs> oh see where he's going, but go for it. Was in a speedrunning race on Super Mario 64, which you may remember from a couple of episodes ago, is the most speedrun <laughs> game in the world. And Dota teabag was in a race with another speedrunner, and they encountered an inexplicable glitch in the game where Mario was teleported extremely high in the air. Yeah. I'll put a video with his reaction to this glitch in the description it's just very funny because he's because he's like <laughs> gobsmacked he's just like what 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 <laughs> so it was very surprising and a, a 1000 pound kind of reward was put in place for anyone who could figure out how to replicate the glitch because it should have been impossible and if it if they could what? figure it out it would have made this speed run a lot quicker oh my god oh. Many speedrunners and glitch hunters were trying to replicate it, and they, they even matched like the inputs that Dota Teabag yeah. did down wow. to like frame to frame inputting, and then in, in emulators. But no one could do it, and they were never going to be able to because this glitch is what is known as a single event upset or SEU. Single event upset. This is not a speedrunning specific term. It's uh, kind oh. of it's a, a technical term i guess it's used mostly in it oh. it is the change of a binary state in a bit so that's a bit is the smallest unit of data in a computer and it's just the change mm-hmm. of a zero to a one that is it but specifically caused by ionized particles from cosmic rays colliding with an, uh, a oh. sensitive node in an electronic device wow oh right because you know when you think about the ion detectors, if you have instruments that are sensitive enough, they could be accidentally become an ion detector. Yes, that's a very is, good way of putting that. it. The best part about this for me is the is the merger between um, speedrunning names and science names, because it's like, yeah, Dota Teabag got hit by an ionized cosmic ray. <laughs> and it's like... <laughs> I just, uh, it's so ridiculous. So in the case of this speedrun, it, it's believed that an ionized particle basically flipped a zero to the one in the bite of memory that was storing Mario's height. So it just kind oh, of like wow. displaced him up a level. Um, and it happened to be perfect for his speedrun because it displaced him just enough to skip half of the no level. No way! And they can't, they can't know for sure that this is cosmic rays, but someone did, yeah. they did flip that bit manually and they got the same <gasps> result. so with the absence of any other explanation this seems quite likely but you you can't um retroactively detect cosmic ray changes so (laughs) we just have to assume now so the odds of like a single event upset flipping in a way that would benefit a speed run it is apparently like a one in one trillion occurrence like likelihood (laughs) a cosmic ray hit someone's n64 or computer in a specific bit of all the bits. Of all the bits. <laughs> oh, man. Which is so wild. Most single event upsets actually just result in, like, hardware mark functions. So you'd have to... In, mm-hmm, the, in mm-hmm. the gaming sense, it's just you have to restart, right, right. like, your computer. Or mm-hmm. So if you've... You might you may have 
even experienced one in your life with your phone. Like if your phone just like kind of glitched out and you had to, like turned off for no mm. reason or you've had to turn it off because it's like fr- like something's just happened that is inexplicable. It could have yeah. been a cosmic ray. I'm going to blame all glitches. I was going to say as a software now. developer, I'm going to this is a useful <laughs> thing to know about. <laughs> have you tried not getting hit by a cosmic ray? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the thing is, single event upsets in game consoles are ultimately harmless to everything, but like a speedrunner's mm-hmm, time. Mm-hmm. But what if they happen in other electronics, like aeroplanes? Uh, uh, oh. Ah. Oh. Oh. Mm. I don't like where this is mm. going. Yeah, um, what if a bit changes the height of an airplane? Instead of a... <laughs> yeah, it just glitches like down <laughs> 10 miles. Oh, now we're on the road for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) This is Ella editing from the future here. If you're afraid of flying, maybe skip ahead like one minute. Thanks. Uh, The high energy particles that Cosmic Ray cause don't cause any permanent damage to circuitry, but it can cause computer applications to crash, and that could be vital to operating an aircraft. Just turn the aircraft off and back on again. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So this is a this is a quote from the NATSB Transport Safety Report Aviation Occurrence Investigation wow. um, from 2008. On October 7, 2008, an Airbus A330-303 operated by Qantas Airways was en route from Perth to Singapore. At 37,000 mm-hmm. feet, one of the plane's three air data interior reference units had a failure, causing incorrect data to be sent to the plane's flight control <gasps> systems. This caused the plane to suddenly and severely pitch down, throwing <gasps> unrestrained occupants to the ceiling. At least 110 <gasps> of the 303 passengers and nine of the 12 crew members were injured. The injuries of 12 of the occupants were serious and another 39 occupants, occupants required treatment at a hospital. A single event upset was the only potential cause for the malfunctions. Wow. Oh. Wow, wow, wow. Oh my god. That's new fear unlocked. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, I guess obviously like the chances of that happening are so, so tiny. Yes, I do yeah. want to say like this is like this most severe report of this happening. It's very, very rare. Unfortunately, there's no way to like protect planes from kind of ionized particles from space. Um <laughs> But the chances that it would cause a ca- any kind of catastrophic failure is incredibly rare. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even in that case, the, the plane landed, it seemed, right? Yeah, like, the, there were no it was... fatalities. No fatalities. So we're good. You can still fly. <laughs> and just never take your seatbelt off and you'll be absolutely fine. Sure. If that makes you feel better, you should if do that. If it makes you feel any better. <laughs> or if you do go on a flight, do a Super Mario speed run. So you get yeah. you get both at the same oh, time. <laughs> do, you think, do you think playing games in on an airplane would make it more likely for you to be hit by well, these? Well, Ella, there's only one way to find out. <laughs> Someone fund us to do that. <laughs> Does anyone want to sponsor us to go and play games on a plane? What? That'd be amazing. Thank you. Single single event upsets are like kind of occurring all the time in different ways, often unnoticeably. Yeah. Um, because it's just a it's a temporary binary change, it, yeah. and it'll yeah. just go back. But sometimes it can have strange effects, such as in the federal election in the city of Sharabik, 
in Belgium in 2003, um, in which one of the candidates ended up with an extra 4,096 votes. Ooh. They believe that a single event upset happened because the votes are... This doesn't mean anything to me, but I assume it will mean something to someone. Um, the difference in votes is equivalent to the power of two oh, yeah, to the 12. Yeah, yeah. yeah, because these numbers are represented in binary, in binary digits. If it's a power of two, then it's like, wait a second, some, there's some computer math happening that caused this error. Oh, I see. Okay, okay. There you go. So they, they believe it was a single event upset that gave him these extra 4,096 votes. That's so funny. Uh, the anomalies in electronic voting machines are apparently really difficult to detect. They just don't leave any like visible sign that it happened. Yeah. Yeah. The only reason the Sharebeak officials caught the error was due to a basically improbable number of ballots cast because this candidate was predicted to get <laughs> no votes. <laughs> they were like, that's probably not right. That that really is spooky. Is it literally it literally happens like this and then just like it's like the the, the quickest, smallest hit and run in the universe. Yeah. Like, oh. and it's like bye. That's such a good way of putting it. There's a scientist called Barrett Boover, he's a professor of electrical engineering at Vanderbilt University. And uh, there's a quote from him saying, I'm from Tennessee, and in Tennessee there's no paper trail for the votes. You just cast it on an electronic system and that's it. If four thousand oh. extra votes gets in one column or the other, there is no way to tell other than counting the number of people who voted versus the total number of votes. So basically what he's saying is that this could have influenced voting outcomes in the past and we just wouldn't know. Oh, wow. Wow. That's crazy. I mean, from a software development perspective or from a computer guy perspective, my intuition is just like get more redundancies, like have double, triple check these things. It's like if you have a system if you're willing to if it's an important system like put in uh either like physical ballots or like a second set of computers because it because the idea of two computers both being hit by yes yeah that's a very good point they wouldn't be and i think things like this bring a a stronger understanding to the fact that like computers aren't magic machines they are physical things that have weird stuff happen to them so that's really Mm. that's really interesting um, I wow. do. Yeah, I am fascinated by the the idea that there's like someone out there that got their <laughs> position in like a government by a power to the you know two to the power number of votes <laughs> because of, because yeah. of a a binary shift. I find that so fascinating. Or even worse, there's a. Uh, a younger brother out there who beat a game, and his older brother doesn't believe him because a cosmic oh. ray helped him. Oh, the injustice! <laughs> that would be the worst outcome possible. <laughs> not the play, not anything that. No, 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 that. <laughs> so that is the basically the end of my section. I did want. I wanted to like look for people who thought that this had happened in their lives, like, mm. um, and I couldn't find many examples, but I did see on uh, Reddit, so um, a user <laughs> called <course>. Svet... <laughs> of course, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, a user called Svet AM said they had a friend that basically worked in circuitry. I'm going to say what they do. I don't know what it means. FPGA <laughs> logic for high-end storage devices. Mm-mm. Computer no. stuff. Over no. my head. Um, and he said a few years ago he was complaining about a cluster of data corruption that happened in a storage rack. And uh, except NASA had reported at that time a huge <gasps> like no. solar flare at the the time that he had this this massive data corruption. Oh man! 
I thought that's so interesting. And I think things like that are just happening all the time. Yeah. Ella, if you had told me you were going to be doing a topic where physics and space phenomena affects computer programming, and my birthday is not for like six more months. (laughs) This is is the best gift in the whole world. Normally at the end of these things, obviously we do like a nice little summary saying how amazing and awe-inspiring and interesting these things are. (laughs) And how the real cosmic way was our friendship. (laughs) (laughs) But I just have one line to finish this off, which is... Oh boy. Um, we are mere helpless victims to the vast and unknowable whims of outer space. <laughs> well, that's well, the existential crisis of this weekend. Just in case out. you were looking for one. Can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> This episode's question is, why are there so many different colours of eyes? Now, just to clarify, this isn't about heterochromia or people with different coloured eyes. This is about, like, as humans in general, why do we have so many different coloured eyes? Because if you look at some species, like certain parrots, they all have red eyes. So it's really interesting. I have literally never thought about that. Yeah. Red eyes... Oh. Red eyes is like... What happens in animals that aren't humans who have, um, what's it called? Albinism. Yeah, so that's like, um, so some species, and actually in humans, we can have red eyes as well, and that can also be caused by ocular albinism. Yeah. I didn't know that it happened in humans. Mm -hmm. Um, That's going to look sick as fuck. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Uh, We'll talk about that a little bit in a second. But there are some species like the red-eyed tree frog, who just have red eyes and every single oh, yeah, member yeah. of that species has red eyes whereas in humans there's a lot of variation you don't yeah. see fucking squirrels walking around with big old baby blues yeah, yeah. Uh, staring you down <laughs> so obviously i've broken this question down into a few little smaller questions so we'll start off with an easy one which is what percentage of the population do you think has each eye color um, I think I probably have like close to the figures for this. Okay. Oh. I reckon it's something like. Well, so then, can I guess first? Because I don't think. Oh I yeah, go do. on. Yeah. <laughs> uh... Ooh, I want to say if like fifty percent. I want to say. Fi- oh yeah, please, thank you, Caroline. So if we start off with brown. Brown. What do you think? I want to say like fifty percent. Okay. I'd say higher. So. If we go by, if we do each one start off with, Ella, yeah, what do, do you it. think brown is going to be? Maybe like 80, wow. 70, 80%. So you're both sort of correct in a weird way. Okay. So in the entire population, it's between 70 and 79%. So Ella, you were like spot on with that number. Wow. Nice. <laughs> but in America, it is only around 50% of the population. So Tom, oh, and America's the only correct. part that counts. Yeah, I yeah, was just thinking from a... <laughs> I would like to, I would like to contest this. I was going on global population. <laughs> Brown eyes are much more common in Africa and Asia. Yes, they I are. Was, I was thinking world population. I appreciate the consolation prize, Caroline, but I, I was trying I, to guess for the no world. Con- no consolation for you. <laughs> it was a percentage I had written down, and therefore you made it very easy to bring up America. Because, you know, we've got to bring up America every now and The then. America Keep prize is happy. definitely the worst consolation prize. <laughs> <laughs> Goddamn Americans leaving uh. all those eyes on the moon. <laughs> no. <laughs> You know me. 
<laughs> that was a um, reference to a previous episode. Sure was. <laughs> so, what about blue eyes? Five to ten percent. Wow, okay. I was gonna say maybe fifteen, maybe twenty. Five to ten. You, wow. You guys have done it again. So. Uh, <laughs> Ella is pretty close. Eight to ten percent of the global population have blue wow, eyes. Okay. Uh, in America specifically, it could be as high as twenty-seven percent of oh, the population wow. have blue eyes. It's a very, very high percentage. What I'm getting yeah. from this is that Tom is um, very American-centric. Um, I yeah. prefer the word patriotic. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, by the way. I don't prefer that word. <laughs> So, what about hazel eyes? Oh. Oh, uh, you know what? I didn't even think about that distinction yeah, from yeah. Brown, to be honest. Look, I know green is like 2, 1, 2%. Mm-hmm. So, I'm, I imagine hazel is something like 5. Spot on! Yeah, you nailed it. 5% of the population oh, wow. has hazel eyes. Once again, in America, it's higher with around 18% of Americans That's having a lot. hazel eyes. Yeah. We're going to get into some more... Actually, we'll do green first. 2% is also... Spot on. God, I've nailed it. My um, gosh. But it is a lot more common in places like Scotland and Ireland. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. again, 9% of Americans have green eyes. So it's oh, much wow. higher than the global population. Ella, I'm so mad that you, you not only got them right, but you totally called your shot at the beginning. <laughs> You're like, yeah. I think I'm going to get all of these. <laughs> <laughs> So let's move on to some more obscure ones. Um, what about amber eyes? Oh, 0.5. Tom, what do you think? I want to say like, yeah, 0.1. So it's actually as high as 5% really? of the population. Yeah. Um, it's pati- according to Medical News Today, it's particularly uh, common in Asian populations, Spanish, South American and South African populations. Oh, interesting. So what about grey eyes? Oh, yeah, there are some really obscure I, ones here. I do can't not even, know. Yeah, I can't even guess that. I would, I can point one. I don't even know. That one's also 2%. That's very surprising to me. And then the last one I've got here is red slash violet eyes. No way. Violet like Daenerys from Game of Thrones. I have no idea. No idea. So that is less than 1%. Yeah. Okay. It, it, so it's more than point 0.1. It's less than 1% of the population has that. Um, and so red and violet eyes are caused by, um, we'll talk a little bit about that in a second, mm-hmm. but that's caused by um, albinism or ocular albinism causes mm-hmm. red slash violet eyes. So yeah, also, what coloured eyes do you two have? Where do you fall into this <laughs> group? Can you not see my uh, actually, beautiful baby blues? <laughs> Ella's eyes are very piercing. <laughs> I'm staring intensely into the camera. Literally like looking through our souls right now. It's kind of like a solar ray just going straight through us. Tom, are you a brown eyes? I have a, I have calming brown eyes that oh, look into nice. your soul and say, Hey, what's up? It's me. <laughs> and mine mine look deep into your soul and they say, What the fuck? you want <laughs> terrifying truly i i have little hazel eyes which i think is cute i'm part of that five percent very special you are special thank you i needed the validation today <laughs> anyway, question over i just needed that. <laughs> oh my god so my next question is what do you think causes different colored eyes so not like 
why do humans have so many different colors? But like, what what is it that makes our eyes colored in some way? I have literally no idea, and I don't know if I've ever、ah. deeply thought about this. So have you never thought so, about your eyes, Tom? <laughs> so it's the it's the iris, right? Is the part that's colored? It is.、Okay. Yes.、Mm-hmm. I mean, I've seen like like close up images of eyes, and like the you see like the like fibery structure. I don't.、Yeah. I never considered what changes that. Like, what pigment is is doing that? I, I have no idea. So you mentioned the word pigment. Uh huh. And that's a, a good place to start. There is a pigment that causes the color. Ella, do you know what that pigment might be? I was probably going to say because albinism is obviously a lack of melanin.、Mm. So、mm. I would yeah. Yeah. guess that it's that. It is. <laughs> That、oh, wow. <laughs> well、it makes sense because in my, I, I mean, I guess it makes more sense than there being like the eye color compound. It's like just use what the rest of the body's using. Yeah, exactly. Use the same thing that everything okay. else. Okay. It uses. Yeah. It's also what causes like fur color in animals, and it is. It's, it's yeah. All,、mm. yeah. It's all just that one thing. But I guess are there different like versions of it? Uh. So in like some animals, there are like different pigments present that cause different mm-hmm, colors, mm-hmm. especially、oh. for as I mentioned previously, like different eye colors outside of humans. Right. That is、okay. a different pigment. I don't know what pigment. That is right, but I don't think there are different types of melanin. It's just different levels of melanin that you can、yeah. find. Yeah. So we'll start from the beginning. Obviously, as Tom said, the colorful part of the eye is called the iris, and that's made up of two layers.、Uh, it's got the epithelium at the back and the stroma at the front. That's what the iris is made up of.、Okay. The epithelium is only two cells thick, so that's that、oh, layer、wow. at the back. And that contains a lot of like really dark melanin pigments.、Um, it says black to brown pigments at the、mm-hmm, back there.、Mm-hmm. So if you've got like a dark patch in your eye somewhere, it could be because some of that epithelium is just poking through a little bit. Nothing、mm. to be worried about.、Ew. It's just sometimes eyes do that. <laughs> I don't like it though. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. So Tom, you mentioned all of those like fibers in the eye that you、yes. can see. So I think what you're talking about there is possibly collagen. Which、okay. makes up a lot of、ah. the colorless fibers in the stroma specifically. Okay, okay.、Um, and mixed in with that, the stroma also has pigments it, as well. It also has、oh. melanin in it. So sometimes it can have more melanin. Sometimes it can have like an excess of collagen deposits. And all of these things impact what color your eyes could be. Okay, okay. So in some ways that makes sense. And maybe you're going to get to this. I don't know how you get to blue from that, and that's, that's what's... such a good question. Yeah, so we'll do the more like obvious ones first. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Obviously, if you've got really dark eyes, if you've got black or even like brown or even black eyes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you've got a lot of melanin in your eyes. Less melanin means that you get those greeny, bluey, sort of hazily colors as well, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. like amber eyes are caused by. Less melanin being present. That all makes sense. I just wanted to add. This is not a color, but、um, there's something called an iridia. It's a lack of an iris. Oh, oh, so that's terrifying. Whoa, whoa. So you just have. It's just pupils. So it's completely black. Fast. Obviously,、oh. I, I believe those people have some vision issues yeah, because of、yeah. that. Because you can't regulate the, the amount of light going, going、yeah. into your eye. Yeah.、Ah. Oh. That's kind of terrifying. Not gonna lie.、Um, but they, their eyes do look cool, <laughs> so it's probably it's worth it. <laughs> <laughs> They're like point zero 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 one percent. They're the, the super special. <laughs> 
Um, You're probably visually impaired, but hey, you've got cool eyes. This is so this this is so dumb. I just have to get it out of my system when Ella said this is not a color. I was just imagining she was gonna be like, okay, this is not a color, but uh, Snorkel. Anyway, continue. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, so dumb. I just, that's what my brain thought. Of course, Snorkel. Obviously, blue-green colours aren't caused by a blue or green pigment in our eye. Uh, it's the lack of that brown pigment. But obviously, the backs of our eyes aren't just blue or green coloured. So, like, what's causing that shit to happen? Right. Um, and it's ca- it's called something called the Tyndall effect. It's actually a very similar reason for why we observe things like the ocean and the sky being blue. No which is fucking really way. Yeah, I thought the ocean was blue because it reflects the sky. Yeah, but then, like, why is the sky blue? Why is the sky blue? Well, it's because people have blue eyes is why the sky is blue. Oh, yeah. The people have blue eyes because the ocean is blue. (laughs) They drink more ocean water. (laughs) Okay, okay, yes. Please, I'm so fascinated. This is... I'm probably not going to be able to explain this massively well because it's physics-based and... That's not me. Um, but we're, we're doing our best this We're episode. trying really hard today. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> Essentially, it's the scattering of a beam of light mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in a medium containing small suspended particles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So the stroma obviously has a lot of particles inside of it, such as collagen and things like that. And when the beam of light enters, it scatters and the blue, because it's the shortest wavelength in the colour spectrum, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That gets reflected out the easiest, and therefore we can see it. I don't know if I explained that very well, but basically, light scatters, blue comes out, and therefore we observe it. So it's not actually that your eyes are blue, or if they're green, it's possibly that blue shining through and it's being mixed with a bit more melanin to make it look brown. Oh, okay. So it's the just so the amount of melanin depends on the level, like the kind of light that ends up being reflected back to us seeing like shades of blue or green is determined by how much melanin is present so if there's less melanin or very very little melanin blue will be seen if there's a bit more melanin yeah, so... you will see green if there's a oh, little bit more you might see hazel oh. colors okay yeah that's what i meant so it, it's it's not it's not that people with blue eyes have especially different it's just the lower level of melanin allows this blue reflection thing to happen correct yeah pretty much oh that makes so much more sense because in my mind i was thinking like people with blue eyes have like a different compound in their eye but honestly i really thought that too i knew that melanin was like responsible for brown eyes i think but i really thought there was something different for blue and green it is exactly the same i'm not (laughs) special in any way (laughs) also does this mean to get existential when i close my eyes they're not blue <laughs> yes oh my god it does <laughs> wow oh that's terrifying oh i love that this is that's the new infuriating tiktok question yeah. <laughs> you just made no, that to be fair i was thinking that because hank answered answered a question which was oh, like, like um if there's no light yeah, does, does color still exist color? Oh, yeah, that's This good. is a whole yeah. philosophical question. Don't like that. Yeah, I don't like thinking about it. It makes me stressed. No. Like, he's, <laughs> Hank was like, no, it does not. But I think it's, yeah, I think it's deeper than that. It's deeper than science. It's a feeling. It's your feelings about colour. <laughs> I want to quickly add that, like, if anybody is still confused listening to this, IFL Science obviously isn't the best source ever, but they do have a really nice article explaining this concept. Uh, so if you are still struggling, or if you want to do some more reading, that link will be in the show notes as well. 
Mm-hmm. Something also that's really, really interesting that I wanted to talk about when it comes to blue, green, brown eyes is that even if you're born with blue eyes, you won't necessarily have blue eyes as an adult. Um, only one out of six babies that are born with blue eyes actually grow up to have blue eyes. One out of basically. six. Isn't it that most yeah. babies come out with like... Yeah blue eyes right yeah absolutely yeah and it's just that these cells that produce melanin haven't quite kicked in yet yeah wow there you go it's just to do with the melanin production that's really interesting so we'll also briefly talk about those red slash purple eyes and as i mentioned previously that's because of albinism or ocular albinism Mm -hmm. and that leads to there being no melanin in the eye whatsoever Mm -hmm, mm mm-hmm So people with ocular albinism tend to have blue eyes, uh, but occasionally blood vessels in the back of the eye can be almost visible in the front of the eye. And that can, depending on lighting, that can give it a purple hue or even look really red as well. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Uh, So that's a totally different mechanism than anything we've, it's just like a a thing behind the eye that is also visible. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it purely depends on like how good the lighting is. But that's also why, like, if you've got blue eyes, how, like, vivid that blue is can change mm-hmm. in the lighting just because oh, of right, it's the it, light it's, scattering. It's, yeah. it, the fact that it's blue at all is, is like a trick of the light. And so different lighting yeah. conditions will change. That's, wow. Now that we've figured out why eyes are different colours and how much of each population has a different coloured eye, we've got to ask the question of why there are this many different coloured eyes in the first place. So can you guys think of maybe a benefit to having brown eyes? Protection from the sun. Handsomer in general. (laughs) Also nailed it, Tom. (laughs) This is, Um, is if if it's about melanin, it's the same reason, you know, people evolved eventually to have a white skin, right? The lack of melanin. It's going to be something to do with vitamin D or protection oh yeah it's possibly both we haven't quite figured it out yet but for eyes we do think that it is that uv protection specifically so people who migrated to europe needed less protection from the sun yeah so they what they just lost melanin in their eyes essentially pretty much exactly that yeah so around ten thousand years ago we think that everybody had brown eyes. Only 10,000 years, 10, years ago. Only 10,000 years ago, yeah. Actually... Yeah, in the scheme of things. In the grand scheme of things, it's really, really recent. Um, and obviously... That, oh, no, but like, that's actually wild to me because to be Homo sapiens have been around for a very, very, very long time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So human civilization is about 10,000 years old. So just as civilization was starting, everyone pretty much had the same colour of eyes. Everybody had pretty much the same colour of eyes, yeah. It's a new evolution in humans, basically, it is, like, which is yeah, really interesting. Yeah, relatively recent one. Um, and the reason that it came about is literally just because of a muta- a random mutation, which mm, mm. was basically non-harmful to the human who had it, and they were able to pass it on. So you're saying that one person, there's one person who had blue eyes one day, and then they were like... And now all of us are that person's children. So there is a theory that blue-eyed, having blue eyes came from a mutation in one person. Obviously, that it, it, you can't say that for certain. It's just one paper claiming this. But I think that's crazy, though. It that is idea. crazy. And we don't know specifically the exact date. We think it was between ten and 6,000 years ago. 
which again is even more recent. Um, but what we do know is that it happened somewhere in Europe, which is mm. why uh, like populations that have a European origin are more likely to have those blue or green eyes. I figured it out. Yeah? The, the person who got that mutation, because of the blue, because no one else had blue eyes, everyone was like, want a piece of that? Yeah. <laughs> For the rarity factor and, and so it was propagated quite wildly <laughs> i will briefly talk about think something called uh like negative selection pressures if the mutation with eye color specifically if that mutation had happened say when humans were living in warmer sunnier climates um the person who had that mutation was possibly less likely to be able to pass it on due to the damage happening to their eyes and that's a negative selection pressure. So right, you have okay. something that's like detrimental to your well-being. You're less likely to survive, less likely to pass it on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. However, once you get into those less sunny climates, that negative selection pressure is eased off quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And basically, that's why we have so many different colored eyes. Because there's no negative selection pressure, because it doesn't impact us so much. It basically doesn't matter. So it's just sort of been able to spread around. Whereas things like purple or red eyes um, possibly do still have, or like up until more recently had a much more negative mm-hmm. impact on people's lives, whereas now it's less mm. so. So we're probably going to see a bit more of that in populations as well, which so, is really, really cool. That's really interesting. Yeah. The reason we have different colored eyes is because the earth has different climates. Pretty much. And at some point it just stopped mattering what colored eyes we had. Wow. I feel like I kind of knew that. Yeah. Just based on because it's so closely linked to like skin it's, as well. It's a very, very similar theory. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. This sort of relaxing of selection pressures is also seen in animals as well. Say mm-hmm. albinism is a great example of that, where like in the wild, we don't see many animals with white fur. Or say like rabbits, for example, we don't see many rabbits with white fur because that makes them more easily to be hunted. Whereas in pets, we see a lot of rabbits with white fur, possibly mm, because mm. it's being bred for as well, specifically. Also, white albinistic animals have uh, worse vision, yeah, right? Absolutely, so, um, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So it, it's, it's definitely negative for, you know, it's definitely going to be a species. negative selection pressure, yeah. Whereas once mm. it becomes a domesticated animal, you're going to see a lot more of that in the population, basically. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So I thought that was really, really interesting. Um, of course, this has all been somewhat simplified. There are at least 16 different genes involved in eye colour. Uh, we used just to think... It, yeah, there at the end. Just 16 you know, genes. 16 whatever. genes. We used to think it was one and that, like, if you had blue eyes and your partner had blue eyes, your child would have a would, would have blue eyes as well. That's also not necessarily true. Oh, yeah, I feel like Mendel... Like, when you're talking yeah, about Mendelian like genetics, genes... they're like... Exactly. They always use eye colour. Like, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. absolutely incorrect. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, that's good. That's very good to know. It's a fun one, isn't it? So, yeah, if you you and your partner both have blue eyes and your child has brown eyes... There's, there's a 16 bunch of... possible yeah. different reasons, yeah. And they, wow. and they come out with red eyes. They haven't cheated on you yes. with a red-eyed person. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they, they might have, but... But you can't, you, can't, you can't tell from the eyes. You might be a bit of a dick if you accuse them and you're wrong. Oh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so as I always say on this podcast, get that paternity test, guys. Hey! <laughs> that can't be the catchphrase. That's the, ca- that's, that's the catchphrase of our podcast. <laughs> 
let's learn everything. Get that paternity test, guys. <laughs> anyway, that's the history of the triangle. So get that paternity test. <laughs> let's rock and roll with the most rock and roll topic. I wanna rock and roll on a party every day. Ah. Well, no. Yeah, you get the point. Let her keep going. Let her keep going. Beautiful. De- no. Uh, before we hop into this misc topic, uh, I don't know if this has ever come up, but I'm curious. What is y'all's musical background? What is in like, what music do we listen to? Or have we ever played musical instruments? Pl- played and learned. Yeah. I'm a beautiful, beautiful singer. As you just demonstrated. Let me demonstrate for you now. Boop, boop, boop. I was going to try to do the intro and I just can't. Uh-huh. That's fine. You know a human voice doesn't perform that intro, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it can. Fine. It can and it will. No. <laughs> no, I've I've never I've used to play the violin. Oh cool. I used to play the keyboard and the guitar and I no longer do either. I was also part of a choir for a few years. Um but oh, I don't cool. do any of that anymore, unfortunately. <laughs> I didn't know this. Um, so that being said, with, with that knowledge of music, what is y'all's understanding of the triangle in the role of the music world? Ding! I know it is a percussion instrument. Oh, There you go. There you go. And... Um, it's usually made out of metal. Uh-huh. On, on, uh, and it's triangle shaped. There you go. Yeah. Amazing stuff there. Um, would you say that the, <laughs> the triangle gets... Taken seriously. No, of course not. Absolutely not. No. So it feels almost like silly to prove or cite that the triangle is a joke in pop culture, but it has been the butt of SNL skits, Geico commercials, uh, music YouTubers especially love to rag on it because no matter what instrument they play, <laughs> they can always rag on that. Um, but I think the, the clearest evidence of this is the fact that there's a TV tropes page that's called Triangles Are the Worst Instrument. Nice. Uh, that catalogs examples of triangles being the punchline of jokes. Wow. Yeah, that makes, that makes sense. Like it's a trope at this point. I, it, that's the only reason I know the triangle is the worst <laughs> instrument is because of TV. So Yeah, yeah. And so as as this page puts it, they go, quote, It's only possible to make a few notes with a triangle, meaning it's hard to be noticeably good at it. It doesn't have much of a noise besides metallic dinging, and it's also not much to look at. Um, (laughs) That's so mean. It's hard to be noticeably good at it. (laughs) It's hard to be good at it ever, you know, surely. Yeah. Also, surely it's hard to be bad at it as well. Are you you about to tell us that there are, like, you know, (laughs) world-famous triangle players? I'm about to tell you that actually... Actually, the theme song is played with four different triangles, and you didn't know it <laughs> this whole time. So I started researching this topic mostly like on a lark while I was just like putting out the feelers for w- what topic I should do. Um, <laughs> and then I found myself reading one percussion textbook uh, and then reading another percussion textbook. And then against all odds, uh, convincing myself that the triangle is actually really interesting. And I will hopefully convince you all of that, too. I think it's a tall order, but let's hear it. <laughs> Listen, I didn't say good. I said interesting. <laughs> and that's an important thing to do. I'm certainly <laughs> intrigued by this topic. And I have zero clue where this is about to go. So, <laughs> so firstly, how old do you think the triangle is? Ooh, oh, that's a good question. And I feel like I feel like a lot of... 
uh, miscellaneous topic inventions fall under either like ancient Egypt or like 1967. Yeah, yeah. About 500 years old. I'm going to go a bit older. I'm going to say like a thousand years old. So I'm delighted to say the answer is literally ancient Egypt. <laughs> of course, it's always ancient or, Egypt. Or some, rather, some people say that the answer is ancient Egypt because I'm even more delighted to say in researching this, I found that there is a lot of debate between triangle historians. Triangle, <laughs> historians. triangle historians. Listen, listen. <laughs> Te- technically, they're percussion historians, but let me have this. <laughs> so as early as 3000 BC, an instrument known as the... <coughs> Oh, it's a good yes, name. of course. Yeah, it's an interesting phonetic yeah, pronunciation. <laughs> uh, an instrument known as the sistrum was used. Uh, I'm going to show you a picture of it, and I'd love for y'all to describe it for me. Here we go. Oh, what the fuck is that thing? <laughs> um, okay, Tom, my main issue with this is that it's not triangular shaped. Can I... Exactly. Can I describe it for the listener? Yes, please. Okay. <laughs> I, th- I so my the first thing in my that comes to my mind is like that it looks like kind of like a baby's rattle. It does. It's got like a, a silver handle at the bottom, uh-huh. a long thin silver handle with a little face at the top. I believe it's supposed to be a god of music. Oh, ah. nice. And then a thin piece of metal in a arch shape connected, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, to the to the base with other single like tube thin tubes of metal running through it with discs metal discs around the tubes yeah. that look like they probably jingle. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it it sort of looks like a, a metal tennis racket with like rings on it. Yeah. That you can shake like a rattle. This looks more like an early maraca. Yeah. Early, yeah. 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 So like Caroline said, uh, doesn't look like a triangle. But the reason this is convincing is because first of all, it is an all metal percussion instrument like the triangle. Mm-hmm. Uh, and secondly, depending on how it's designed, a sistrum can sometimes sound like this. Okay. Or depending on how it's designed, it can sound like this. That's a bit closer, isn't mm. it? Yeah. That's a bit closer. Uh-huh. And the other thing is that early triangles had little metal hoops on them that would make them sound more like the sistrum. Right, okay. So at the very least, they're musical siblings, um, but it's still speculation. And that is in part because what we're going to find out in this topic is that even from music historians, the triangle doesn't get much love. As Professor Mark Berry put it, why the previous centuries are nearly void of written account or iconography remains a mystery. Um, and this is still true for modern accounts. I'm going to be quoting music historians Mark Berry and James Blade a lot because they've written really great pieces on the triangle. But on the flip side, while I was researching this, uh, I actually I went to the Lincoln Center Music Library to check out the Encyclopedia of Percussion. Uh, and I had to go to like the research section and get it like specifically checked out. That book had five paragraphs on the triangle. Wow. Oh. Half of a page. Wow. So... Even in academia, the triangle doesn't get a ton of love. But do you know who we know for certain did love the triangle? And that is angels. So the, yes. <laughs> the earliest... Oh, uh, yes, angels. <laughs> oh, you said it. You probably said it at the same time and just the delay. Yes, uh, yeah, I, it was. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so the earliest confirmed images, if you're not satisfied with that 3000 BC figure, the earliest confirmed images of what we can easily identify as a triangle comes from the 1300s in Christian art. Caroline said a thousand years. 
and I said I said five hundred years, so we're exactly in the middle. Oh, actually, yeah. yeah. So you guys, you guys split the uprise together. We get the point. Yes. <laughs> um. So I'll send y'all a picture of some just a bunch of angels and cherubs playing that dang triangle. <laughs> Okay. So that's a triangle. Oh, I see what you mean about like they put some of those uh, like rings onto the triangle to yeah, make it sound yeah. more like the one of the pictures that you've sent. Uh huh. The bottom one. It looks like an like a a really lame angel music battle where they're like fighting. <laughs> one has a tambourine and he's like coming at the other angel who's like holding up a triangle in defense. And that was the first battle of the bands. <laughs> I'm also just really mad that some of the triangles are in fact not triangles, but are nearly rectangles instead. That upsets some, me. Some are very trapezoidally shaped. Yes, uh, I yeah. don't know if that is... We, I mean, we don't know if that's because of like technical limitations. Some people have noticed that they they look very similar to straddles, like on a on a on a horse saddle. Oh, they do, don't they? Yeah. So, I mean, it's still mostly a mystery, uh, and this might not be the origin of the triangle from like religious context, because as Mark Berry puts it, quote. Given its simplicity and its loud rhythmic nature, the triangle was a likely candidate for use in secular and folk music as well. Mm -hmm. um, so it could just be that Christian paintings are what survived that time period. Mm. But boy, did they survive. Uh, <laughs> as percussionist and historian James Blade puts it in his book, the triangle occurs more often than any other instrument except the symbols and paintings of Bacchic processions and similar occasions. And angels will often be seen singing and playing a triangle at the same time. Uh, and you may be wondering, how often? Uh, well, often <laughs> enough that I'm almost certain that you two, and also some of our listeners, have actually seen a triangle in a work of art, because it's in one of my favorite pieces of art that I will send to you right now. And I want to tell me if you can recognize this piece. Well. Do you all know this painting? I can firmly say that I've never seen this painting before. Oh, dang. <laughs> this is one of my favorites. Do you know this one, Ella? Um, I ha I've seen it, yeah. I've seen it before. So this painting is The Garden of Earthly Delights by Hieronymus Bosch. Didn't expect the triangle story to take us here. Um, so it was painted around 1490, and it's this extremely detailed painting. It's basically like... Wait, can we where's Waldo the triangle in the painting? I had that joke written down. I'm so glad you beat me to it. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this book was this this painting was basically like an I spy book for kids of the Middle Ages. That's not true. It wasn't for kids. Uh, but it's seven feet tall and twelve feet wide, and it's full of this like extremely detailed, really bizarre, creepy figures, um, which is why it's also become popular on the internet in recent years. There's a Twitter account called Boshbot that posts random sections of this painting every day. <laughs> And it has almost 100,000 followers. Oh, wow. So it's a very memeable piece of art these days. Let me, so let me, let me help you guys on your search. So uh, the way this painting is designed, it's a triptych, uh, meaning it's like three distinct panels. So it's basically like three paintings joined together. The left panel features Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Uh, the center panel features a bunch of humans delighting on Earth. And the rightmost panel features a bunch of humans being tortured in hell. Uh, can you guess which panel the triangle is in? <laughs> I, I, all of the other musical instruments are in the hell section, so I'm uh -huh. assuming that that's where the triangle is too. You know it! <laughs> the triangle does belong there, to be fair. <laughs> that's so funny. Um, the hell section is super fun, though. It really I, is. It? <laughs> There's a, it's just an egg with legs. <laughs> 
there's like there's like a bird eating a person like uh-huh. just like whole but oh this is so fun <laughs> i'm glad i don't think i'm gonna be able to find it to be honest i will send y'all a close-up image <laughs> oh that's mean oh that <laughs> Yeah, I would never. Oh, and I did even look at that bit, but it's just like I, she's she's really where's wallowing, like truly. She's like coming out from behind a bit of. Yeah. I don't even know what it is. Yeah, I was gonna yeah, say yeah. I have no clue what that musical instrument is either. She's quite scary, isn't she? <laughs> Fortunately, I actually don't have to describe it myself uh, because someone else already has. This is from an amazing paper uh, by Liza Young titled. The Rise of the Sentient Musical Instrument, a study of Hieronymus Bosch's musical instruments and their dissonant revolution. So as Liza Young breaks down in this scene in hell, basically humans are being tortured with giant instruments, uh, presumably for the sin of enjoying music. And so there's a woman here who's trapped inside of a giant hurdy-gurdy. Hurdy-gurdy. And she's reaching her hands out of the instrument and she's playing this triangle. Uh, And as Liza Young puts it, quote, it seems to be another interpretation of the music of the flesh, only directed through the triangle rather than her own vocalization of pain. So the triangle is meant to voice this woman's hellish screams, which is just that's just so a much. more savage burn than any modern punchline. <laughs> Uh, and what's also interesting is that once again, she notes, quote, there is little cultural history surrounding the triangle, unlike the other instruments of Bosch's inventory. Yeah. And so we get into some more triangle history debate. She goes on, Kurt Falk, a German writer and historian, states that the triangle was used within the church to keep the congregation alert. Um, basically like, hey, wake up. <laughs> However, that's not, that's an exaggeration, but uh, she goes on. However, he provides no evidence for this theory and even goes on to reduce this argument by saying that the woman's triangle is lulling the surrounding souls to sleep, which is completely absurd mm. amidst hell's cacophony, which is just every, every way you spin that, it's a burn on the triangle. Like it's, it was either used to keep people awake or put them to sleep, but we don't know because no one cared enough to write it down. Oh dear. You're making me feel bad for the triangle. <laughs> now, now, where the triangle finally starts to get some solid history and understanding is when it becomes part of the orchestra. Uh, and of course, this is when it finally gains uh, appreciation. So the tri- sorry, that was a typo. I meant to say, of course, this is when a lot of people still hate it. So in 1710, uh, the triangle makes it to the big leagues of music by joining the orchestra. Uh, Percussion historian James Blade starts his chapter on the triangle by saying, quote, the humble triangle can lay claim to being one of the first purely metal percussion instruments to enter the modern orchestra, which when you first read it, it's like, cool. But then you read it again. It's like, that's like a lot of qualifiers. (laughs) Mm-hmm. For like a meager compliment. It's like getting like a senior award in high school for first person who was born in May with short hair to run the mile in under <laughs> 10 minutes this year. It's like, okay. Um, but regardless, this is how we get to the triangle that most people think of it. So in an orchestral setting, uh, the triangle is usually one of many instruments a percussionist will use. Uh, you know, like those two big symbols that you clap together, or like the wind chimes. It's just one of many things. You don't just play the triangle. Um, and I'd say there's two really noticeable things about the triangle as an instrument. So one is that aside from hitting it from the outside of the triangle, you can actually hit it around on the inside. So you can get a sound on both the upswing and the downswing. So you can get really fast notes. 
The second thing is that the triangle is known for having something called inharmonicity, which basically means it has no pitch to it. It actually has so many pitches in it that you can't parse a single one. Uh, like a tuning fork or a bell is a piece of metal that that is tuned to resonate with like a specific note. Yeah. But a triangle uh, is <laughs> just a chunk of metal. Um, and so that's useful, right? Like, like symbols are like this. They don't have a pitch, but none of them are as high pitched as the triangle. Mm. So all those things together, <laughs> the triangle is a high pitched sound that doesn't have a pitch and that you can play rapidly. <laughs> um, and so it sounds like a bit like a recipe for disaster, but it, it can really cut through the air like a knife. Uh, and so in an orchestra, um, you actually usually hold it by a thin thread so you can get it as loud as you can. Mm. Uh, and so this is what a modern triangle sounds like. I've been putting it off because, boy, it sounds like something. Here we go. <laughs> In case you forgot. Yeah, that's a triangle. I feel like... I feel like one of those people that's like trying to convince you that a really gross wine or IPA tastes good. It's like, mm, can you notice? You notice the notes of inharmonicity. Mm, that's good, actually. The aftertaste of metal. Um, but let me tell you, if you still hate it, you are certainly not alone. So, one of the very first orchestral pieces that prominently featured the triangle was a piece composed by Franz Liszt in 1853. Uh, it's called the Piano Concerto in E-flat, and I'm going to play a section from it right now. This is performed by the Southwest German Philharmonic of Constance, and this is the third movement of the piece. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. It, it feels a little bit. It feels a little bit shoehorned into me. Just like you know what, this needs a triangle. Like, <laughs> did it? No, I mean, and it was, and it, it was the first piece. So, but yes, Ella. Oh no, it kind of works for me. It kind of because it's like a little. The tune is like a little mischievous. Yeah, I guess yeah. So. yeah. So it's like if someone's like imagine like someone like creeping along, and then they look to the camera, and that's the triangle sound. <laughs> That's a, that's a perfect metaphor for what that is. It's the 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 looking directly into the camera. That's so funny. But this use of triangle was not appreciated by everyone. Um, the critic Edward Hanslick famously called this piece the Triangle Concerto because he thought it was it overtook everything else. Harsh. Well, he taught he was talking about it, wasn't he? Hey, we're talking about it. Hey. <laughs> Uh, another more recent composition featuring the triangle was written by Hans Rott in 1989, and one reviewer put it, quote, Once Rott starts triangling, he doesn't stop. <laughs> the conductor is well advised to cold-heartedly rein him or her in. Uh, even a textbook on percussion history gently put it, quote, Many consider that the effect of the triangle is such that it is best used sparingly. <laughs> but I think, honestly, the biggest backhanded insult to the triangle uh, comes from this passage at the very end of the article on triangles. Um, so in the book, after describing the history of triangles, its use in music, the notation for it, <laughs> James Blade decides to end the very last paragraph on this section of triangles uh, with this. He goes, quote, 
The largest existing triangle is possibly the instrument in the American War Cemetery in Epinal. And then he says, Outsized instruments are still used on the farms and ranches of America as a call to meals. I think that's fun and interesting, but can you imagine like a chapter on any other instrument ending with novelty trivia? <laughs> like pages about the violin, the hit deep history of the violin, and then it's like the biggest violin is located in Germany. Some people use them as back scratchers. Um, or that I... Oh, you could fill the violin with soup and drink from it. <laughs> You can fill them with exactly 1,000 baked beans, did you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, I, started, I started this by saying that people treat the triangle like a joke, uh, and I've mostly shown how that's been true for at least 200 years. <laughs> but, of course, there are those who do love the triangle, uh, besides angels. Uh, one of my favorite quotes about the triangle comes from a composer, Charlie Widor, who describes how he likes to incorporate the triangle. He goes... At the climax of a crescendo, when the orchestra would seem to have reached its maximum intensity, it suffices to add the triangle in order to convert red heat into white heat, which I think is just a beautiful metaphor. The triangle is like that extra bit of afterburner to get like super loud. Um, and there's examples of it being used exactly for that. So this is my favorite that I found. This is from uh, Brahms Symphony Number no. 4 in E minor, the third movement, uh, as played by the Vienna Philharmonic. I'm going to play it right now. I feel like a radio DJ. Coming up next, Brahms. <laughs> <laughs> Building up, building up. We're about to hit that drop, that tr thick triangle drop. Imagining like the one person in this like really talented yeah. orchestra aggressively whacking the triangle. Well, and the thing is, like you hear it, right? Oh, you have an yeah. entire orchestra playing, and then one person just wailing on it. Do they like... do they really hire someone in orchestra just to play the triangle, though? No, no. Usually, it's one of the things that the percussionist knows. Yeah. Okay, it's, like, good. I was like, that's the, sad. The <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's that's sort of like one of the, the misconceptions of it. Yeah, it's, it's just it's one of the things that that because it's, it's a rhythm thing, right? Yeah, um, yeah. So, um, yeah. So first of all, I love that. I think that's a that's a perfect example of it. But where I think the triangle gets by far the most love is actually not in the orchestra at all, and not in the church played by angels, but in folk music. Ah. In in some ways, this makes sense. Uh, one historian noted that. There has always been, quote, timeless struggle between the church and its relationship with musical instruments and rhythm. And while folk music is certainly harder to trace than symphonies, there are examples that point to that deep history. So uh, this is a clip I'm going to play from legendary Creole accordionist Boisset Gardouin, uh, who is being accompanied by a triangle. So here we go. Yeah, I like oh, that. I quite like that. Yeah. I don't know about you. That's like the first time the triangle has like made sense to me. Yeah. And like sounded yeah. good. I'm like, oh, yeah. 
what you might have noticed is that the, the sound of that triangle is a lot more mellow. Mm -hmm. And that's because unlike every orchestra where you use the triangle where you hold it with like a thin string, they just hold it in their it's hand. Holding it. Yeah, I was about to say then it's exactly. not giving that resonance at the end, right? Exactly. Yeah. Good ear. And that, yeah, that makes it a lot less shrill. Um, the triangle has also found its home in Brazil. Um, this is a clip of the triangle played in some samba music. Yeah, nice. Uh, yeah, it, it, nice, which is not what I necessarily would have described some earlier <laughs> portions of it. Um, lastly, there's a video I'll throw in the show notes um, of the Brazilian band Avioes playing a song live. And the lead singer plays the triangle, not as a joke, <laughs> as an instrument. And you know how many views that video has? Uh, 10 million. It's going to be 344 million views. Oh, my wow. God. And it's not, it's not a joke. It's just that, that, that it's just good. That it's just an instrument. So I wanted to end this on that high note for the triangle. Um, but at the same time, uh, I want to be clear, like the point of all this isn't to be snobby and say like, actually, you shouldn't laugh at triangle jokes. <laughs> I'm not like other girls. I like the triangle. <laughs> <laughs> Have you listened to Brazilian samba before? Um, like, if anything, I've actually uncovered more roasts on the triangle. But the point of this topic is that, against all odds, I had more fun researching this topic than any triangle joke I've heard. <laughs> right? The triangle has siblings in ancient Egypt. It's a favorite among angels. It has a cameo in the Garden of Earthly Delights. It's the source of a lot of historical mystery and debate. It's sometimes hated in classical music and sometimes loved in folk and pop music. Um, and so the point isn't triangle good uh the point is that somehow the triangle is interesting <laughs> what starts as like a punchline and a five paragraph encyclopedia entry uh can end up being a let me check my watch uh way too many minutes of a podcast <laughs> uh, and that's that's uh what i love about the triangle and also what i love about doing this show uh oh. which is the chance to find the triangles in the world the <laughs> we are all the triangles of the world <laughs> i like that I want that on a sticker. Um, that was, you were, well, Tom, you succeeded in your goal from the start of this. Triangle is interesting. <laughs> Do I love so the glad. triangle? Meh. Do I find it interesting? <laughs> yeah. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. <laughs> it's Review Corner. <laughs> Uh, so today's review comes from Laboka09 uh, from Apple Podcasts, uh, and they go, I found this podcast, sorry, the subject line is fabulous, and then the body goes, uh, I found this podcast a week ago and listened to four episodes in one go. Wow. Oh my god. Dreading catching up on all the episodes because I cannot wait to listen to the next one. Absolutely love it. An awesome entry into the fun facts genre, and in my opinion... The heir is apparent to the no such thing as a fish throne. Oh, <gasps> yes. Yes, you hear that. <laughs> Thank you, Laboka09. You oh. are wonderful. <laughs> you are fabulous. Thank you. <laughs> Subject line, you fabulous. Yeah. <laughs> uh, does anyone else have any plugs or shout Tom, this is my episode. Oh, shit. Let's restart, restart, restart from the beginning. Claps. That's right. right. We need to re-record the whole thing. Let's play the music. Hold on. I'll start the <laughs> Does anyone have any plugs or shout-outs? 
you can find me everywhere as Tom Lum person. And yeah, you should listen to this podcast I do called Let's Learn Everything. Wow. <laughs> uh, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. I am Caroline the Bug. I'm about to hit 300 Twitter followers. So hey! please come and... <laughs> can, can we please help me beat the Let's Learn Everything pod Let's Twitter? Let's do it! Because oh, like, oh, they're no! catching up with me uh, and I'm deeply offended by it. So... <laughs> <laughs> Um, I believe you also do a podcast called Let's Learn Everything. Oh, Crazy my that, right? Oh, my God. <laughs> um, so you should listen Always to that. Always plug the podcast. Always plug it. Always oh, be plugging. I would like to shout out our Patreon as well. <gasps> because we haven't done that this episode. Uh, we are Let's Learn Everything over on Patreon. You can find the link on Let's Learn Everything pod.com. Uh, so yeah, we're about to uh, do some fun stuff, including <laughs> Twilight. The patrons voted for a Twilight commentary watch along. So if you'd like to hear our thoughts on that, please do come and join us over there. Woo! Woo! And I am Big Science Energy on TikTok. And now CGTRM, my work TikTok, where I'm putting out real science videos, as in other people doing science, real science. And it's very fun and cool and great and you should follow it um so i've just followed it oh thank you okay oh i was already following that's true not (laughs) (laughs) well we know who loves me more here ella do you have a podcast i'd love to hear you on the podcast i don't i don't actually have a podcast so let's move on Wow. Hey, actually, look, let's talk after this. I have an idea. I have an idea. We should do something. <laughs> we should start a podcast. Let's, 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 oh, let's talk God. after this. <laughs> Stupid. Stupid. Today, we have learned about the vast and unknowable uh, cosmic rays of space. <laughs> we have found out why my eyes are so scary blue and... <laughs> and everyone else's eyes are such beautiful colours and we have learnt that the triangle is indeed interesting please join us next time where we will learn about everything 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 everything. Let's Learn Everything is independently produced by Caroline Roper Tom Lunn and Ella Hubber editing by Tom Lunn and Ella Hubber and music by the wonderful and talented Tom Lum. That's that goofy Sunday energy. Boy, howdy. Really? Boy, howdy. <laughs> right. I'm stopping recording. Yes. Cool.